You're live from the Stoop Podcast with me, Robbie Digital. Hope you're doing great, sitting back, relaxed, feeling in a good mood. Today we got a really good, good friend of mine by the name of Ron Draper. Ron is a Harlem native, but his art has been all around the world. In a culture now where black art is definitely being seen a lot more frequently as to years before, he's definitely at the forefront of that. From him growing up in Harlem to in his own art studio in the Bronx, he's definitely gone from his stoop to where he is today in a world of different ways. Sit back, relax, as you listen to me and him discuss his life and how he got there. Live from the Stoop Podcast with me, Robbie Digital. Let's go. Live from the Stoop Podcast with me, Robbie Digital. I'm feeling good. It's been a great week. Uh, summer is finally ending. Uh, we're getting right into the fall, which I love. Cups, coats, and, and cuddles all season. Of course, you know, I have a great friend with me today. Um, I've known this man for quite a long time. He had, he may be the first original renaissance man that I know. Like, of, like, fine taste, of, like, quality of black excellence. Like, he's definitely been someone that um I've known for some time. Has always had this certain mystique and, like, just mystique. energy with him. Mystique's a good word. I like that. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> Without further ado, uh, I present Ron Draper, ladies and gentlemen. What's going on, folks? One hell of an intro. Uh, <clears throat> Mystique's a good word. I like that. I like being, not necessarily mysterious, but like I like people not even sure who I am and just, like, I know this guy, kind of don't know this guy. I feel it's good. I, I like that. That's what, I'm, it's the, what I've been aiming for for years. I think you've, you've mastered <clears throat> that. Just um, the way that you carry yourself. Like, you really have always let your art speak for yourself. It's not like... uh ain't about me. Yeah, it's not like <clears throat> some of the typical artists that we see or people in our generation who kind of like are creatives, they try to be creative and social and yeah. not focus more on the creativity part. Yeah, social don't mean nothing to me. Like, I'm not out here throwing parties. I don't need y'all to... I don't need to be popular. Yeah. But... For me, it's just about the art and art first. You like over the last few years, I've just made it a thing to people know a little bit more about me. But other than that, it's always been about the art. But art's always been first. You can it's it's <clears throat> it's interesting that you say that because you can even go on your website and even the bio starts like this is the art. This is what the art that I've yeah. done. There's no yeah. like backstory. <laughs> so it's like even to do research, it's like that's like you're like this is where. This comes from, and that's why I felt like sitting down with you would be um, important because I think people need to know that story. Yeah. Like before they see who they see you are now, like let's go back to like a young Ron Draper, like living in Harlem. How was it growing up? How young are we talking? You can talk. I mean, you know, like you know, when, <clears throat> before we we really when we was like really coming outside, like at that age, like how was it? A typical Saturday at like 10 years old. Yeah, I was hyperactive into, not hyperactive in the sense of like ADD, but I was always into stuff. Good stuff though. So Saturdays were all basketball camps, Boy Scouts, and chilling. Like I was a kid who was literally into a million programs at once. Really? Like Boy Scouts was my thing. Shout out to all my Eagle Scouts, True 50, if y'all even out there. Um, uh, basketball camps, basketball programs. Like, I was literally outside, but never really outside. Like, I was not a kid who was in the streets much. So it's funny how I'm in Harlem. A lot of people know me in Harlem, but no one really knows me from being outside. But it's because, depending on what year we're talking, I was between Harlem and Mount Vernon. Really? Because my mother bought a house in Mount Vernon when I was nine, maybe, give or take. So I spent time being between my father in Harlem and my mother in Mount Vernon. And I never went to school in Harlem. So uh, everyone I know through Harlem, I know through just like party promoting from college, friend to friends, or just like being who I am now. How is that duality growing up, being in the suburbs and then going back to the city? Because I, 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 I like my mom and my dad was separated when yeah. I was younger. So like I remember like my mom, we, we stayed at my grandmother's house, was up uptown in the Bronx. Yeah. Like kind of like the suburb area, like mm-hmm. uh, like the valley and shit like that. Very quiet, old people yeah. own homes. But then going to the South Bronx, 
My pops lived in the projects. Definitely different. It was very different. So I can only imagine you going to like the suburbs because Mount Vernon is pretty much the suburbs at that time. To some degree, there still is a lot of outside nonsense, though. Yeah. <laughs> Mount Vernon is like, I guess, a good mix of the two. Um, definitely quieter, at least now it's a much quieter. But the duality was cool. Like, I'd have, to some degree, I could be in the city doing a whole bunch of stuff and having a lot of activity. But I'd be able to go to my mom's house and just be around quiet and have, like, my own space where I didn't have to, like, hear sirens outside all day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always been a man of people. I like being around people. I like energy. And Harlem's always provided that energy for me, where people always act. My mother always says, as a kid, she would say, like, yo, people end up, everyone in Harlem is up to something. She's like, whether it's good or no good, people, everyone in Harlem, everyone in the city is active somehow. They're doing something. No one's standing still. Mm-hmm. And that was something that was always admirable that my mother would mention. Like, listen, Harlem has energy. Like, people are doing one thing or the other, but everybody is doing something. Like, Mount Vernon, she felt like some of you people just sit still. Yeah, I, w- I would say that. Like, um, it was, it, I always felt like that when I came uptown. Like, yeah. when I came uptown, it was quiet. Like, I would go to, like, like the Burger King with my aunt or my uncle. Or sometimes we would go to, like, Toys R Us in Co-op City. Oh, wow. It was just <clears throat> very, like, it. I knew it was not the same as like my other family members in, yeah, in a sense. Definitely different. And you can feel <clears throat> the energy when you, it's like a different coat. Yeah, it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's no. just different. Yeah, it's just a different feeling. Yeah, it's not a shot at Mount Vernon that it feels like nothing's moving, but yeah. it's just a different, slower pace. Because mm-hmm. not everybody's on the same kind of like timing as Manhattan is probably one of the fastest, if not the fastest city in the world. Absolutely. Like people know Mount Vernon, I'm Mount Vernon, sorry, Manhattan will run people to the ground. I was born and raised. That is, that is life for me. So everything other than that feels like molasses. Yeah. That's anywhere. So it was just a balance of being able to have both, at least the option of being either place, gave me kind of what I needed at some time. Sometimes I just wanted to be riding my bike in the streets. My brother is way better for that because I don't got to worry about getting <laughs> yeah. smacked by a taxi, bro. Absolutely. Like I didn't start riding my bike in Harlem probably until I was an adult. Yeah. My friend, I've toured all of Westchester, damn near, mm-hmm. from White Plains. I don't know how we even made it that far, but <laughs> we even had a whole crew of homies riding all over Westchester. You can't do that in Manhattan, bro. At least now you can. I see a lot of kids on their bikes now, yeah. but they're like 100 deep. It was like eight of us. Yeah. So like things like that, no way in hell I'd have that in Manhattan. And so. I, I guess that's also seeing, <clears throat> seeing like being in Westchester, you also see like you can see the degrees of classism, too. Like, because if you're in Mount Vernon, Mount Vernon's right next to Bronxville. Yeah. You go into Bronxville, Bronxville looks completely different from Mount Vernon. Well, you ride right up, because uh, as soon as you hit up Gramps Ave, make that left a different place. Yeah. After you pass that little, like, circle joint. Yep. Like, you're like, yo, what the hell am I? It's a whole different place, bro. The buildings look different. The grass is, is greener. Although the green is already green in Mount Vernon, you're yeah. like... That whole perception changes. Oh, you see that too in Manhattan, for sure. Things, but if you run up, if you run up Park Ave, Park Ave might be one of the few streets that go straight up that have. You can go from Park Ave down on the fifties where you see Ferrari dealerships, mm-hmm. and then go see these like see a piece of Calls art on fifty. I think it's forty ninth, if I'm not mistaken. Keep going up that block. You're gonna have, once you start to see the Metro North creep from underneath the the ground, the whole atmosphere of Park Ave changes. Yeah, when you get to that, I want to say maybe like that hundred. I want to say it's ninety six, ninety six. Yeah. I think ninety six, ninety seven. Because it cuts and you go through that turn, and the next thing you know, like you start seeing the project buildings yeah. and stuff like that. So you, the same thing happens if you go anywhere long enough. Any street, you can be on any street long enough, you're gonna see a different thing about Boston Road. You go right up Boston Road from where it starts. I think Boston Road starts one seven one seven four yeah, down there somewhere. You can ride that all the way up. You go through Spanish and car washes. Then you hit Little Jamaica up from probably Gun Hill, give or take, or Allen's Nav yep. up to 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 Dyer, pretty much up to up to Dyer. Then you pass Dyer, nothing but car and audio places up there. You cross that bridge, you're in a you whole hit different world. In, that's, you're hitting Pelham Manor now. Yeah, you go from Pelham Manor straight up through New Rochelle. So any street that goes long enough, you'll see that transition. But um, like du- living the duality of being able to have both was. More than I thought it was. Like, I'm a kid who understands what it feels like to be in an apartment, but I also had a house to be in, too. So I had both, which was one hell of a privilege. Shout out to my moms. It's kind of, uh, uh, as we talk about, it's kind of like having, like, 
an urban passport. Yeah, it's even a good places. Because I, I know, like, my friends, you know, shout out to, like, my Caribbean friends, they always talk about having dual citizenship as a kid. Yeah. And I feel like when you kind of have that, you have that. So, like, did you spend, like, weekends with your dad and then weeks with your mom, or was it like they split it? Nah. The situation was weird. I still don't even understand it to this day. Um, but I know my mother moved to Mount Vernon. We all moved up there. Like, me and my brother and my father, um, we all moved to Mount Vernon, the whole family. Mm-hmm. Then we were up there, and then, like, if I had to do something at school, I still went to school in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So if I had to do something at school, I had to be there late, I would stay at the apartment in the city. Uh, um, then come, I think, college, it was much easier to get to Queens from Manhattan than it was from Mount Vernon, especially I didn't drive, so I was taking the train. So I was 17 in my own apartment, which is wild. Right out of college. Like, senior year of high school, from senior year of high school to probably, well, now, I still live on, I've been out on my own since I was, like, 17. Not yeah. because I, my mom kicked me out. She tried to keep me home, but because I had the space to take some, I had a privilege of having an apartment in the city that nobody was in. Mm. So we went. Um, then my mom's and pops got into it. She kicked him out. He moved in with me. So me and my pops were together for a few years in that apartment. But um, the option was always there, but mainly it was Mount Vernon for, like, my teenagers. Um, but the option of Harlem here and there, you know, I was playing ball. Then after high school, it was all Harlem, even more. So I spent about maybe four years of my life. My high school years were in Mount Vernon. That's that's interesting you say that because you, you talk about ball, and that's kind of like, I feel like that's typical like Harlem kid stuff. Where did where did art play into a factor? What was the first, what was your first, life. what was the first introduction into art? I don't know if this actually is, but this is the one I get credit for. So playing basketball as a kid, coming from uptown, we hit the FDR Drive. I remember seeing the Keith Herring handball court every Saturday. I don't know what the hell it was, but I knew I, I knew I had it. Right? I knew I, I would see. I knew it was something that made me feel something. Right? Um, my mother used to take us to like art fairs all over the city. There used to be this art fair down on is it Washington Square Park or Times Square Park, whatever park is right by NYU. Um, down on. That'd be Fifth Ave by like A Street. They're like pieces of art which you'd buy as kids. So I've had art. I've always collected art since I was a kid. My mother would buy me art. There was this one guy who would make like wood sculptures who wrote my name on it. I think she still has that at the house somewhere. But art has always, always, always been. My mother's kept me in art since I can remember, bro. That's dope. And and was that? And I, I guess was that your. Was that also like you learning about different artists? Or at the time, you was just like, oh, this is cool to have in house or stuff like that? At first, it's just like, this is cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, you start to recognize as you get older, but if you're teaching like a four year old, you're not going to make it too complicated. Five year olds, it's just, hey, this is that. And you start to notice a difference in some art, and some looks like this, some looks like that. But it was mainly just experiential. So, between seeing stuff, being able to make stuff, work with different materials, more about like art kits, I had like what, those 150 piece art sets with. Crayons and markers and pencils. Uh, I was free to create as long as I can remember, bro. Like, this ain't nothing new. And it's funny because I remember, like, did you do the typical, like, in high school, they like make you draw a pumpkin or make you draw, like, a, a, a seashore or some shit, like, for art? Because I remember doing that. I went to an art, specialized art high school. Shout out to art and design. Um, so it's funny, people in college was like, I didn't know, about, when did you get into art? When have you been into art? I'm like, bro, before college, I went to, in middle school, not even, elementary school, I'm one of the few kids in New York City who's probably had art every year of his life. So I went to a um, pretty good elementary school, shout out to PS126, had a pretty robust art program, so I was doing, funny thing is, I made a, a square and a quilt when I was in third grade. That quilt was still on display in the school. So they brought me back maybe a few years ago. It's like honored me as like a famous, not famous, but they call me famous. I ain't famous at all, but you know, as a as an alumni who's doing great work. And I was still like, oh, we love your artwork in the, in the school. I'm like, y'all don't realize y'all have my artwork that no one paid attention. My name is still in the key. Like, my, this is mine. I made that when I was eight. Like, I remember making that. Mm-hmm. I remember Miss Goo teaching us how to sew. So, and like, that's why I'm so into sewing and stuff now because of that project that happened. In 19-whatever, 1994, whatever year it was. But, um, yeah, so even from there to my middle school, I went to Robert F. Wagner Middle School in Midtown Manhattan, Upper East Side. 
pretty robust art program that helped me build my portfolio. Shout out to Miss Hussey. I, I don't know if she's still alive, but shout out to her who prepared me for the art exam for art and design. Really? Then you go to art and design, and not only are you like thrown into this art art kind of environment, the best part of that is not necessarily the classes about everybody you're in school with. Now you're in school with a bunch of artists. Yeah. Like, that is different. Even the way you make fun of each other is artwork. Yeah. You would literally draw, like, characters of each other's talking shit, which is wild. That's fire. Or, <clears throat> like, how... Like, it's, it's fire, but imagine, it's, like, all the rude things someone says to you. Imagine them being able to immediately put an image to it that makes it way It's kind of... To me, and I always... Because, like, I'm a kid at heart. Yeah. So, to me, it sounds like... Your freshman year is like you being a freshman at the Xavier School for the Young, Gifted, and Talented, you know, or some X Men shit. That's what it felt like. But imagine it's like you know, so. Imagine like the fights at the X Men School. The fights was wild. <coughs> yeah, because the fights everyone had different abilities. So imagine being able to communicate. The abilities were different because we'd communicate through art. We'd all be creating something. Everyone's creating something, and it was cool to just have so many different talents because you're learning from everybody. I'm learning from my man Roman, who was into graffiti. So people think about my art and my handwriting. My handwriting has always been kind of like urban looking to some degree, right? Mm -hmm. Because I was into graffiti. My man Roman got me into that. Roman from Brooklyn, Italian cat. Shout out to Roman and our Virginia's Grocery. He owns a sandwich shop now. But thinking about between Roman, between my homies in Brooklyn who came with a different style. Like my style, just your artwork is influenced by everybody around. And we were all a big kind of like tight knit group of Art kids, bro. Was was your mom surprised when you decided, like, for high school you wanted to go to art and design? Mm-mm. She kind of, she kind of, kind of knew. She like knew that. what it was. Mind you, I was preparing for that since middle school. So even with basketball, basketball was something kind of like doing the other activities was like, like doing stuff just for the sake of doing. Yeah, it. like I knew I wasn't going to the league, bro. I was nice. I wasn't going to the <coughs> league. I knew that. But you knew, like, this creative bug that you had. You knew from an early age this was something you wanted to explore. That's kind of yeah. that's rare because. I always, this is a quote from Pablo Picasso, I think it's Picasso, that speaks about the fact that um, the, the artist is the child that survived. Like, I was always kept there. My imagination has always been, like, fostered in, curated. like, safe spaces. Mm-hmm. Not even curated, bro. I think art is not about curating the things around somebody. It's just letting somebody's mind go loose. Mm-hmm. My mind has always had this space to bounce off the walls. Like, my mother was not controlling how my own room. I could have drawn on my wall. She wouldn't have cared. Walls ain't drawn on the walls outside my room. <laughs> Absolutely. But my mother always, always left the safe room and the safe space for me to kind of just explore, bro. Like, my mind is, goes to depths that people can't imagine because I've had that practice my whole life. I've never had walls put up by anybody around me. It's always just been whatever you want, you can do. As long as it don't kill you, do what you want. So now you, you graduate from high school. Mm-hmm. You start picking colleges. How does that process go along at that time? So high school, at that point, everything's being creative, but it wasn't a thing that you felt that you can do professionally in high school. So I said, listen, I ain't going to be no artist when I grow up, bro. Like, I remember Mr. Taylor, Mr. Lawrence Taylor. That was his name. He's actually older than the football player. Um, I remember, he said my people, I remember everyone's name. My memory is wild. Mr. Lawrence Taylor, I was in his class. Um, I think this advisory group that we had, one day, me and somebody else are going back and forth. I'm leveling into homie. Like, yo, this is this, this is that. He's like, Mr. Draper, you make one hell of an argument. You ever think about law school? I was like, nah, I didn't think about law school. And I was like, wait, maybe I should. So I graduated from art design and went to St. John's University because the plan was to be an attorney. So I did, I did four years there, well, four and a half, actually. Um, I had a law major with a business minor. And the goal was to go to law school so I worked at a law firm from the time I graduated because someone who knew somebody who knew somebody was able to plug me at a law firm who happened to, like, it was just, I learned very early that connections are everything. I tell people that about college. College is, it's 30% what you learn, 70% of how you learn to communicate. And, and now I would say 30, I agree with the 30. I'd probably say, like, 40% how you communicate the other 30% is just the name of the school. Ah, yeah. now that is important. I, I would say that, my, yeah. My first job on Wall Street, right, as a paralegal, a legal assistant paralegal, was simply because the partners, two head partners went to St. John's. 
That was it. Like, I, they knew it. I do good work, but you went to St. John, so you're one of us. It's like you get the wink and the nod. Like, you're in the, you're in the club. These are people who are grown people at this time. I might be 20. They're probably 50, 60. But like, oh, you went to St. John's? Cool. That's it. How was your experience there? When can you start? That's beautiful. So, so shout out to college for that. Shout out to St. John's for that. Um, and then I was working in the field. Apply. I took the LSAT in 2011, if I'm not mistaken. And I was applying to laws when my father got sick. Um, when my father got sick, I kind of, everything I put on a hold. I'm like, listen, law school can wait. My father's sick. I got to make sure he's taken care of to some degree. That He passed in 2012 in June. And I, like, retreated into, like, I never lost anyone that close to me ever. So I retreated into a, like, space. And that space I retreated into was the beginning of my art again. So the fr- I remember my father had passed. My wife and I moved into the, that apartment, um, my family apartment. And I think we had finished clearing everything. I just finished painting the walls or whatever it was. Like, white paint, not like no art shit. It wasn't yeah. even there yet. But I remember having... Some mirrors that a friend's mom gave me. I had some tape, blue tape because we had painted these black and white stripes in our wall. I had spray paint because I had to spray some. I had like two different, two, two three different types of spray paint. That's like, like random. Like we had this track light we installed, and to, to connect the track light, you needed a connector. Yeah. The connector only came in like an ivory color, so I spray painted it black to match the track light. I had red spray paint because I had to, I think I painted my brake calipers in the car years ago. And those are things that I made that first piece of artwork with. I don't even know what that is. Keep it 100? Candace might have it. It's just flowing around somewhere. I don't know where it is. It might be someone has like this piece of artwork that I made on a glass mirror flowing around somewhere. And in, and in that moment, in that reclusiveness, and you start that process, and you, I guess that one moment when you sit back and look. Live from the Stoop Podcast with me, Robbie Digital. Well, what what is Live from the Stoop? Live from the Stoop is just a conversation that I have with people from different walks of life about how they got from the Stoop to where they are today. From art, music, design, culinary, you name it, you'll you'll find it here. So uh, sit back, relax, and if you do like, make sure you rate, review, and comment. And most importantly, subscribe. Now let's get back to the show. Let's go. Does that aha moment happen, or you're like, oh, that was that felt like uh, I released something? It's something I was me releasing something. It was never like aha, I can do this. It was like, yo, this felt good. This is a way to speak without having to speak to anybody. This is a way to kind of self soothe, make myself feel better. The aha moment has it been around Halloween that same year. Um, what did I? I painted something. It's wild how many things happen. So. I remember painting this one piece of artwork. This person was like, yo, a friend Taz was like, yo, how much for that? I'm like, I ain't selling this shit. Like, I ain't making this to sell. I'm just, just creating. I'm just getting it all out, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, how much? I'm like, yo, I'm not selling. It's like, I want to buy it. Like, I don't really care what you think, buddy. So <laughs> she ultimately, like, pushed me that way. And um, I remember the day that she was going to pick it up to buy it. She picked me up from work. She's like, listen, no one else buys it. She picked me up from work and brought me home to make sure no one got to it first. That's how like much she was. I think she still has it too. This was like 2012. And you're, st- and you're still in, at this point in life, you're, you're in your cocoon phase. Like you're still trying to figure this out of what this thing is. It sounds like. I'm not even saying, I wouldn't even say trying to figure it out. It wasn't even me actively figuring it out. I was just creating. I was just pumping. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. like not necessarily figuring it out in the literal sense. Yeah. I think figuring out what this expression is, but keep yeah. doing it and figuring out the less late. All I know is when I create, it feels I feel good. this, it feels good. Yeah, it feels good. That's it. That's all I knew and at that point. I'm, and as your wife is watching you, can she, is she seeing this like drive or like this emotion of expression that's coming about. Yeah, she's just leaving room for it. Like meaning shit's all over the house, but cool, I get it. Keep on creating. It's more so the best thing you can do for me is give me space. And create the safe space where I don't have to worry so much about this art can't be here. I don't want to ever have to have like any limitations ever. So if I know I can create and just stack artwork in a corner and I have to worry about or I can't make anymore because now I got to think twice about where this shit has to go. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's the best thing that you can do. And my wife done a tremendous job of it over the years, just allowing me to have the space to just do whatever, whatever my mind brings me. She lets me do. So you say you, your friend brings you home. Yep. Buys the art piece, and you're still pretty much like, why are you harassing me? Not like harassing, <laughs> like damn, like. This like, like, you, like this is really like yo. You feel really strongly about this because oh, it, that's that's profound at that yeah, time. Yeah, it's like damn. You feel really strongly about this. I'm just out here expressing myself, but that's the first time I really was able to see how people, how my work made someone else feel. Mm-hmm. I know how it made me feel. Yeah, I don't know how it made someone else feel yet. Ah, uh, so that's when I was like, oh wait, this makes people feel a certain way. Like my wild, crappy thoughts that I might be having make other people feel really good too. Like oh this is different, so I, I saw the I saw that and started kind of gearing more towards all right so I'm going to keep on I like the idea of creating I like the idea of being able to create these experiences with the work that I create for people. And on the professional side, so now as you're creating, you have the you still have you went to school for law, yeah, pretty much. How does that turn in as well? Like as as that's happening, are you? Slowly backing out of that legal space, and oh, I was over it. Because once I, the new shiny thing was this, like, yo, this is over. Like, I, this law thing is cool. It's prepared me to a certain degree between law and business, being able to understand and maneuver contracts, being able to take care of my own paperwork. I said, all right, this is cool, but I'm going to take this leap and just quit this job for this art show. Um, raw artist, shout out to raw artists. One of my first art shows in the city it was a mess, but it was it was a cool experience. But I quit my job, gave him a month notice. Just like, I'm going to create artwork for this art show, and we're going to figure out what it is. So I had the art show, and it was love, and I haven't turned back since. That was 2013. So now, that's really, that's a year's time in between that, for everything to be happening. A little bit more, yeah. It happened pretty quick. It happened super quick. But that's also that's like when social media really started booming to some degree, especially Instagram. Mm-hmm. Because now... The images are on there. It's like there aren't many artists on Instagram then. Yeah. So people seeing it, it's like, yeah, I want this, I want that. It's like, oh, this is actually kind of a thing. We're going to make this work. So between that and like my little side hustle job at Crunch Gym, I made it work for some time until I jumped into education. Education is something I didn't know how to even land in. I remember looking for like, yo, this is art. It's cool, but I need to make sure you know, bills are paid. Yeah. That was so, going to be the next question. Yeah. It was like, let me make sure... Make sure bills are paid. I was good, but we make sure bills are paid. So I thought, like, I can go to either Teachers of America. One of these always programs that they need teachers yeah. for. I teach math or I teach history or something and still do my art. <clears throat> but I got reached out to Rewind. 2013, that same world artist show, that clusterfuck of stuff. I met a woman, um, Amiria, shout out to you. I haven't seen you, I think, since then, maybe, but... We met, um, she needed to pick up artwork. She, she bought some artwork there. She didn't want to take it home because it was glass. So I packed it up for her. I said, no, you come pick it up from my house. Cool. She's like, I work in Harlem. I'll pick it up. She picked it up from the house. She was going to her school site. I was going to the barbershop, same direction, maybe two blocks apart. And we had walked, and I remember seeing this, um, like, it's a crazy perfect storm and stuff, so I had to jump around. But I saw these high-rise buildings that I used to teach art in. So 2012, I taught art for this after-school program. They had no art teacher. They had no idea how to do art. I was an art guy. I wanted to know how to teach. I had no idea. We both filled the void. Like, they filled the void for me. I filled the void for them. So I taught artwork there um, maybe for a few months. And I remember mentioning to the woman, like, hey, I taught art there. Cool. And we're just, like, laughing and saying, all right, cool. A year later, she called me saying, listen, I work for this program. They need an art educator. You came to mine. Let me know if you're available. So I took it. This is a year later. Literally, it's 2014. I took the school job. Um, It was amazing. It was a great two-month run at that school. And in that two months, this other school got wind of what I was doing. So I went from not even understanding where to begin teaching and started looking for teaching positions in terms of art to having two schools ultimately like trying to like fight for my services in like two months, which is wild. Um, so that's a new space now. Super new space. Super new space that I've been in and it has been, I can't imagine like my level of growth without being able to grow in education like I am now. 
Because what I've learned is I'm a unicorn. I remember talking to one of my um, managers or supervisors at this one organization called Hip Hop for Life. They were the organization I taught through. And they would tell me, like, Brian, I don't think you understand how much of a unicorn you are. There aren't many art educators in New York City who do what you do. So I stopped trying to imitate what I saw art educators do and started kind of being myself and doing what I thought was important in the arts, for especially for young people of color. And I realized nobody was doing that. So that came, that grew into me developing art programs for other schools, consulting work, like everything, where I'm still able to create the space for kids that I had growing up, where you need space to be creative that doesn't have the, you paint this ocean, you paint this bookshelf. It's like, nah, whatever you deem as art, whatever you think your art is, I'm going to help you develop that. You're going to build that the way, I'm just going to be a liaison to build it the way you want to build it. If your artwork is designing sneakers, you're going to buy some sneakers and design them, bro. And figure it out from there. And we'll figure it out from there. I've had sneak, I have kids who have full, I have, where are those sneakers? I think they got to be in my classroom. It's locked up still. They're like Air Force One. My students design, like painted. And they're like in a display case in the school, I think. It should still be in that. But my thing is, I'm going to help you find your art. Whatever your art is, I'm not going to force my art on you. I'm just going to help you bring yours out. It's interesting that you say that because I remember the first early pieces that I saw of your art. And it was... It was very avant-garde. It was very like, I, I was like, okay, I know this hip-hop space. I know yeah. these words. I know these meanings. But it was so expressive. Like, yeah. I remember seeing, because <clears throat> you have uh, love tattooed on you. Gotcha. I, I remember oh, seeing the first time I saw, like, one of your pieces that had the word love. And I was like, I've never seen anybody use this word so large <laughs> before. You know how random that was? I was testing out these new art brackets, and I needed to find a word that I can make one because I used to do big pieces anyway but they'd be multiple letters yeah. I wanted to make one like solid piece that was multiple letters I said yo what word has about four letters that I can make into one solid piece of artwork that I can hang using these new brackets I want to experiment with love was the first word that came to mind that's what I, it wasn't like this huge like yeah you know <laughs> I'm a firm believer in love and, like God. I am it was not that it was like yo this word works out it's cursive so I can keep it all in one sheet of plywood and I can test these brackets out mm-hmm. I saw it on the wall I was like oh shit this is dope let me play with this that's how that happened it wasn't like this big drawn out super romanticized poetic view it was just love having to be a word that fit that mm-hmm. fit what I needed to explore at that very moment I just built and ran with that and then it started, as I assume, as you can see, it started bleeding into other projects as well. Like Everything. It's all over the place. Um, I'm a guy, I'm a big fan of love, right? So it was more so understanding that people all experience love different. We all create our own subtext for love. That's why every piece is love, but what is the thing before or after it that puts it into p- proper context for us? And it was a thing that I knew I can kind of keep. I remember seeing this documentary called Exit from the Gift Shop that spoke about um, street art and Shepard Ferry, Old Bay, shout out to him. I don't know him, but does great work. I always remember this one thing where he says, my focus is to put my artwork as many places as I can in this world because repetition creates perceived power and perceived power eventually generates to real power. I was like, yo, what can I do? To, what can I repeat? That still looks different. That still keeps it one of a kind, but what can be something that people can recognize and that love thing was it. So I built that out. Like, people know, like, when they see that, they know it's me. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of, that was by design. The grand design, it seems. Yeah. Definitely by design. I was like, listen, I need to repeat something. We're going to make this work. But here, <laughs> how can I, what can I repeat? And it makes sense. And it still fits into the ethos of the work that I do. And that was it. And then also tying in. I'm assuming your love affair with music. Absolutely. Like music, not even just music on a song. I think it's hip hop culture, period. Hip hop culture and has become so, has been so much of an influence. I can't even say influence, right? Because I think we were born into this. This is yeah. kind of who we are. It's not influence for us. Yeah, it's not influence for us. It's like, this is just who we are. This is culture. This is our culture and how our culture comes in one way and goes out the other. Like, we breathe it in one way and we can breathe it out somewhere else. So I breathe in hip-hop culture like we all do, but the way I breathe it out, it comes through my artwork. It's funny you say that because to me it's like, even hearing that now, like, I look at your art 
and the way you express it and, and that hip hop feel of talking about like breathing breathing out and breathing in it's yeah. kind of like kind of like brown sugar the movie like kind of like just you that know, I've actually never seen that movie movie's incredible I know I'm terrible it's like what's what good are, with you one there's a few, there's a few that's movies the one, that, that's the one nah, I feel like this is mad movie, <laughs> I have not seen that I've, what else I haven't seen someone was killing me for the other day I've not seen the color purple mad black movies people <sighs> like that, yeah you gotta yeah this thing in a drastic turn. They know he's going to do this. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. <laughs> that's that. Those two, but like Brown Sugar, especially, especially like the 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 mood, gotcha. the feeling um, of expressing yourself. Not saying that's influential in hip hop music, but it playing the soundtrack to your life the way it should be. Yeah, and then how it comes through art. I remember. The, I think the first piece I saw from you was from a mutual friend of ours and it, I saw the word love and then it had Jill Scott and I'm like wow. not exactly piece of song like that. I don't I was, remember what it is but I, I remember what the words but I remember that and that was the first so another thing no one knows about this right my handwriting was developed because it had to fit in spaces so it is so randomized because I've had to start filling spaces and making sure it fits like I have to adjust and bend and move the first piece I remember having to do that was that piece. I remember drawing a quote in her hair. That's the one you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Four pieces, two by two. Probably a little bigger than that, but it was two by two. It was probably about 26 by 26, brown, black, and white with glass. And I wrote the quote in the hair, and I had to make it fit. So that's kind of like where the handwriting was born. So that's why people see now a far more polished version of that. That's dope. And I remember just seeing it, and I was like, for one, it was like, not too many people listen to Jill Scott, oh, so that's Scott. so that was that was my first yeah. thought. I was like, okay, like, so when I'm asking our friend about, it, I'm like, yo, what the fuck did you get this from? Like, it, yeah. like she's like, oh, this guy named Ron, a great friend of mine. Can't wait meet him. He's good. He's great. So I was like, all right, cool. And then, like you said, in the power of repetition, I would see it more in my everyday life now. So I see it different places. So I think one of the biggest moments was probably Harlem Hospital. For me or for you? Well, for you, I'm gotcha. assuming. Um, yeah, at that point, for sure it was. Like, that's, that's one of the few places that people ask me my favorite work. I'd probably say that because the piece, there's a number of artwork pieces in there. They just can't see them all. A lot of them aren't in the public spaces. But in terms of, like, major career, like, milestones, that's definitely one of them. Being able to kind of furnish the hospital that I was born in. Um, being able to... Not only have my work, but curate other exhibits for other artists too. So I had a hand in all the art in the hospital for some time. How did that come about? Asking the right questions. So Miss Sylvie White, shout out to her. She actually just retired from the hospital, but she was the woman that I met who was the chief of staff who ran everything, and she was the woman who would, who would have the task of artwork in the hospital. And um, before I even met her, I heard she was just like a, a man-eater, meaning every artist that went to her, she's like, nah, this is terrible, this is terrible. So I, I was just thinking, like, this lady's going to tear me <laughs> apart. She's saying no to everybody. Like, yeah. what the hell makes me different? So we met. She loved my work. She pretty much said, where have you been? My, forget the exact words, but ultimately, where have you been my whole life? Because this is exactly what I'm looking for. And <clears throat> through the lens of just knowing what, the work I do, I just understood what artists have the same kind of like energies in their work. Same and languages. Yeah, same, same languages language. to some yeah. degree. We, we felt the same with the same kind of energy. And I was able to say, all right, cool. I know you're looking for this type of artwork. Meaning, like, it's a city hospital. That's a million checklist. The checklist <laughs> yeah. was a mile long. You couldn't do this, couldn't do that because it's still a hospital first. So all the artists that kind of fit in those parameters, I was able to see pretty clearly because this is the life that I live. Um, so I just asked Chris, I said, listen, I know you're looking for other artists. Like, what if, like, I know my ears to the ground. This is the realm I'm in. Like, I would love to help you with that search. I would love to kind of help put these things together in here. She's like, okay. It was easy as it was. Once again, give me the room. She's like, listen, I forget the, one of the expressions, she, she's a, a super wise woman who, I forget the exact expression she used or exact words, but it always come, it pretty much comes off as make room for those doing the things. Like, listen, I could be doing this, but I'm going to make room for you because you clearly do this better than I do. So I'm going to get out of your way. 
So she got out of my way. And like I said, leaving me space is the best thing you can do. Trust me, give me space. You'll get exactly what you're asking for and more. And that, I guess, that ties into speaking about spaces. You get your own space. That was the same year? Same year, 2015. I'm really good at this. Yeah, 2015. I did some some homework of how I wanted to curate this. So how does that come about now? Where you're like, okay, I need to find a space. I'm a vengeful motherfucker, that's why. Because I'm emailing PDFs and portfolios of work or just bodies of work to different art galleries to see who wants to show my work. Nobody wanted to show me shit, so I'm like, all right, cool, I'm going to do it myself. So I said, I can either try to work with y'all or I can just build my own space. So I built my own space. And then in the midst of building your own spaces, I think I, I remember running into you on 149th Street, some random day. I don't know why we ran into each other. 149th? Near, near, the, near the gas station next to the bridge. I don't know where I was going. I don't know where you was going. I have going. no idea where I was but going. But he was like, yo, I got a space. And I was like... What? He was like, yeah, I got that. He was like, yeah. I don't know. You had, I think you had your bike at the time. I was definitely out there on the bike. So he, he was like, yo, I got this space, this this art space. And I was like, yo, that's really dope. And at the time, it was so like glass ceiling breaking. Because you had, ne- like, at the time, I didn't know anybody who was like looking to their own space. Yeah, because for me, it wasn't like, yo, I want to do this and. Be groundbreaking and all. It's like, yeah, ready my own space. Y'all playing? I ain't got time for that shit. I am the most impatient person you'd ever meet. Ever. But I also know the cost of being impatient. Like, if I want something to go pay for it, I put my money where my mouth is. That was the thing. Like, yo, I don't feel like waiting this out. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and do my own thing. And just rent my own space. Where no one can tell me shit. And you rented that space when no one else was over there. There was nothing over there. That's, <laughs> and that's what I really wanted to talk about. Like, God, I remember like, the first time you you uh, invited people to have a public showing. April. And I was like, where the fuck am I? It's April 4th, 2015, if I'm not mistaken. So I have the email. And I was like, where the fuck are we? No one knew about that area. I didn't know where I was. <laughs> i never been over there until I found the space. I found a space on Craigslist. I found a smaller one. Ended up maneuvering my way into the bigger space where I had not been over there ever. I didn't know that area of Bronx existed. I knew that area. So I had to get on the Brooklyn Express right there, yeah. but I've never made that right turn and gone over there. No one goes over there. Nobody. <laughs> now you want to name mothers over there. Yeah, so I was just like, what? It's like, the, it's the six train over here. It's mad far from everything. Mad far from everything. What the hell? It was a walk. I had to walk on an underpass. Like, what yeah. the fuck am I going? And I remember walking in the building, walking up the steps. And then seeing all these antique pieces and stuff yeah. like that. My, my landlord's a, a hoarder. He has everything, bro. He tell me to move some of that shit, but he collects. And then seeing the room that you, the space that you had, it was like, wow. Yeah, people, this safe haven. Like, people don't realize how big that space is. Yeah. Like, my space is bigger than a whole lot of galleries in the city and say that. Like, I have a pretty big space, especially for New York City. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I have a pretty sizable space. And how was that conversation with him where you were like, hey, I want to kind of reach out to him? He was like, sure, why not? What, the landlord? Yeah. You got the money, you got the space. That was it. Interesting. <laughs> you and, you didn't, and you didn't worry about the people because <clears throat> you knew the people. At that time, it was still just finding. It wasn't a matter of like people coming to see. It was, I need a space to create. Yeah. And people coming to see it was almost like a byproduct. Because at first, I was going, it was a smaller space I was looking at. The math worked out for the bigger one. So the first was just be a working space. It wasn't supposed to be like a showroom. I got a bigger space. I'm like, yo, I can finagle this shit into something else. Like, I can, instead of making stuff here and then moving it and showing it somewhere else, I can just show my work here. So, I just did it that way. So, they don't come to me now. People coming to Harlem from our shows anyway. So, another few stops on the six train. A few more stops will get you there. And and I think it was it was cool because it became like this little oasis in a sense. A destination. Like, no one was over there. Like, if you were over there, I knew you were there for me. Exactly. Like nobody was there. For, there's no reason for anybody to be over there. No. At all. I think it's the sanitation department's <clears throat> over there. It's like a recycling plant. <laughs> recycling plant, the New York Post is back there. Now there's mad stuff. Now you Oh yeah, now it's now it's hippie central, bro. Oh, that's a fact. Now it's a whole different It's like world. it's like the Bronx version of Williamsburg <clears throat> over there. Yeah. <laughs> like, like Astoria, Williamsburg. Like it feels very much like that. And it's still the city bikes. 
<laughs> there's, there's electric city bikes. It's over, bro. So, like, I, I do remember that part of being, of seeing that space and that actually growing. And then the, the commission work that you started doing as well. Yeah. And how was that a different space where it was like, all right, as an artist, now I'm getting commissioned to do pieces. Was that a different transition? Well, I've been doing commission work. And the thing is, commission work, you won't know the difference because I'm doing what I want anyway. Mm-hmm. It's I'm still going to tell my story. You're still going to help tell my clients or whatever story you want to tell. I'm going to tell it my way. If I can't tell it my way, then I'm not the artist for you. You got to give me the space. I think I think a lot of a great expression of that would probably be like the Biggie piece that you did. Which one? Um, there's one I remember with like a red background, and it has the same kind of expression too. The one with the Kooji sweater that I built in? Yes. That wasn't a commission piece, actually. Really? That was something I just built out of curiosity. I wanted to destroy Kooji sweater. Like, people always painted Kooji sweaters. I bought one, tore it apart, and put it in the artwork. And shout out to Guy Wood, who's probably one of my first collectors. Guy Wood, um, the head of 5001 Flavors Clothing, who's been doing... 5001, is you want to talk about hip-hop culture, 5001 has been like the backbone of hip-hop fashion for probably 30 years. Google 5001, look at Biggie's what, source cover with the World Trade Center behind him with the leather jacket. Look at the tag on the leather jacket, 5001 Flavors. So Guy Wood was like, yo, Big was my man's. I want that piece. I remember showing him the photos. like, yo, I want it. How much? I told him. I remember telling him a number. I was like, damn, it's going to be too high. He's going to tell me no. I told him, he said, all right, cool. I think he gave me the cash right there. <laughs> I was like, god damn. This is different. Like, I asked somebody... I told him what my price was, and he honored my price and said, here you go. He picked that shit up like two years later, but uh, as a guy for you, though. But he still has it in his shop now. Was that an interesting feeling, too, to, to, to uh, I guess, how to, how to put word that would, like, finding your price or finding your worth in that? Yeah, it's always weird. It's still, like, rationing, right? I think it was more so whatever I felt comfortable, whatever lifestyle I needed to live, this is what I had to do to pay my bills. That was much different. Now I know the life I want to live. I know what it costs me. And my work has to be able to allow me to afford that. So it's going to be what it's going to be. Um, and I have no problem. I remember this one client. Was like, Why is it so expensive? I told him that my wife likes nice things. My wife likes nice shit, so you got to pay for it. At this point, I don't care. The this price is, of the brick is the price of the brick. The price is it. Either you pay for it or you don't. Like I don't yeah. feel bad about it. Either you can or you can't. And I... But part has me understand that my work isn't for everybody. Yes. Everyone's work isn't for everybody. Like, I don't like every piece of artwork. And people, everybody shouldn't like, I can't expect everyone to like my artwork. If you don't like, you don't value it. That's not on me. It's not like I've done something wrong. It just might not be the artist you, and that's okay. But I'd be more than happy to point you to someone else. Like, I didn't, you might not have liked my work or my price, or I can gladly hand you over to somebody else just because if I can't eat, one of my people won't eat. That's beautiful. Always like, yo, I can recommend you to hear. Someone's going to eat. And no matter what, you still have that sense of trust in me. Like, you came to me for something. <clears throat> you might have our relationship in terms of that work didn't necessarily work out right then and there. But I passed you on to my mans who did this work. Or my people, she did this work for you. So you might not have my piece of work, but that level of care from me is still there with you. Your, t- your watermark is still there. Yeah, the watermark is still like, damn, Ron cared for me enough to hand me off to somebody else that he trusts, and I got a good experience from that person. So somebody, they might be thinking, I'm looking for artwork. You might have a friend who likes my work. It's like, yo, this guy, I didn't get work from him, but he handed me off to somebody that he so treated me well, even though I wasn't buying shit from him. So you might refer me to somebody else. All my work is referral-based for the most part. Like, most of the work I do is referral-based. So now we we talk about, like, you going from art being an expression to then you turning into a lifestyle, you turning into a business. And you were telling me before we started recording that you picked up a hobby. Yeah, had to. Our hobbies are hobbies are my thing now. Man. I got to create the time to do stuff outside of art. And the thing is, part of it is the fact that a lot of people, the part that pisses me off about being an artist is that when I meet somebody, in New York, everyone's all about what the fuck do you do? Who are you? What do you do? What do you do for a living? Yeah. I'm an artist. Art is, being an artist is probably one of the few professions that people ask you to see your credentials right away. Like, hey, where can I see your work? Motherfucker, he's an attorney. You didn't ask to see his client list. <laughs> he's, a, he's a doctor. You didn't ask to see his patient list. Why are you asking see my artwork right now? So that got really frustrating for me, so I just went off the grid for like three months. 
And partially because I just wanted to, I needed to. Other part because my life affords me the luxury of doing such. I said, I'm going to jump off the grid and do things for me. Like some things, things that I have to spend money on aren't necessarily being spent to make money back. It's not like, here's this investment. Like, bro, I need to spend money on things that just I care for, things that make me happy. Things that I, because I'm a learner. I love to research. I love to find things, look at things. And I've been researching for months. And that's what hobbies do for me. And hobbies didn't make me no money. They actually cost me a lot of goddamn money. Hobbies do that. Hobbies cost me a lot of money. But that's why I work hard, so I can have these hobbies. And you were telling me that it was kind of like a surreal moment. You were talking to some kids. Uh, Yeah. uh, Avenues of, I think, New York. I don't want to get the school wrong, but it's a private school. Um, This program, this, uh, I guess, this black studies group, or is Almost like all the black kids in the school are in one group, black affinity group, which is dope that uh, Dr. Lisa McDonald is doing in the school as one of the few black educators in the school. As much needed, so she put a few of us in front of these black kids to be able to ask us questions about things that we do and how blackness translates into a lot of these white spaces. And these kids had a bunch of questions. I'm used to kids' questions. Like, all right, whatever, like, all these, where did this happen? Did, right, I got it all. I'm all yeah. the top, easy. One of these little kids, man, asked me about my hobbies. I was stuck. <laughs> eight year old, it's kind of an eight year old kid. Forget the kid's name, the kid had me stuck. And it's at, crazy how kids, like, kids are forever teaching you bro, the how to be the simplicity of being human. So I said, Listen, I'm gonna revisit my childhood. What are the things that I like? I like artwork. I've always liked artwork. I've always liked collecting artwork since I was a kid. I've always liked collecting cards. And I've always liked collecting cars. So I thought about looking at model cars again and like building model cars. I said, Fuck that. I make enough money to buy cars to redo. So over the last few months, I've been working on this car. I had to go work on it a little bit, but that's been my thing. And it, it don't make me no goddamn money. But it feels bit. good. It feels good. That's all it's for. It feels good. I feel good driving it. I feel good building it. Um, not I'm not actually building it, but the build, picking this and choosing that and curating the car to some degree. And I think there's beauty in the unknowing. Yeah. I don't know these, but the beauty is the unknowing. Becoming the knowing. Yes. Like, I don't know this, but I want to learn. Like, I don't know how to change a headlight, but I'm going to learn. I don't know. I wanted to make sure that if I'm going to go into this kind of classic car game, it's like we said before, it doesn't feel like, because this is a car that's 20 years old, but we're all alive, so it doesn't feel like a classic car, because it feel like a classic car would be dating ourselves. Yeah. Um, but if I was going to go into this classic game, I'm going to go right. I'm not going to go and go to like, shout out. I ain't knocking nobody, but I'm not going to Shea Stadium to buy some BBS looking rims. I'm yeah. going to get the official joints. And I found out through my research that BMW had a series of rims made by BBS in the late 1990s. So I found those particular rims and found, I wanted those rims in particular. I had to go hunting on eBay, man, for like three weeks to find them. eBay is a very dangerous, interesting place. It's a rabbit hole. Yeah, you'll dig it. <laughs> so between research and these BMW forums, I just went and found. I wanted to make sure I, I did my OGs right. I wasn't trying to get into this classic car looking game and go half assed. Like there are a lot of people who have like replicas. I'm not not like once again I'm not knocking anyone who has replicas, but I didn't get into this hobby to be buying replica rims, bro. I wanted to make sure I had the original joints made in Germany. And I think that's the thing too, like. um as as creatives, when we jump into our hobbies or the things that excite us, we don't stick our toe in. We jump in. Oh, it's obsessive, bro. Obsessive. Up in the middle of the night looking through things. Like, I remember having to look for my rim, trying to figure out the sizing and looking at all these other cars and learning what ET is. ET is just the measure at how much your rim is off from the offset and the mounting point. Like, it's massive. I've learned that who the hell would have thought I would have had to learn. Learning about different designations of BMW cars or... Like, I know I drive an E46. People say, where'd the E come from? E, if I can't pronounce the word, but the word for engineering or development, sorry, the word for development in BMW starts with the letter E. So the letter E, it was all BMW, like all those BMW development, developmental models were under that E badge. I drive an E46. That's a particular style that existed from 1997, I think, to 2005. But what I didn't realize, so this is a lef- lesson I learned through this. I figured I drive an E46. The next one that came after should be what, if you had to take a guess? It would be E47. No. Or G47. Nah. What happens is you realize the 5 certain thing about the M5 that everyone thinks about, the classic M5, was the E39. Um, but there is 
then I think after that, my E46 might have come. But if you realize, it didn't go from E39 to E40 <clears throat> because everything they developed never saw the light. Some things they developed never saw the light of day. So it's like models, like projects. and There's some projects. That never, like imagine every product you did, you gave a number to. Mm-hmm. But you saw the fifth one, you saw the 12th one, but you didn't realize there's six through 11 or all things that either didn't work out, this things that what just, I made the models, like, ah, fuck this, we don't like this, or mm-hmm. they got to the blueprint stage and didn't work out. So even looking at that, I realized that everything doesn't need to see the light of day. Mm-hmm. Everything doesn't make it. And those designations are proof, if you look through them, that they're skipping like five, 10, 12 numbers in some cases because there are tons of models that didn't make it. It's like the E45 probably was a different version of my car that didn't make it to nothing. They probably drew it out and said, ah, fuck, this is terrible. Let's do this. Let's scrap this start over on the 46 model. And probably for their so for that matter, too, I think it's interesting because even with artists, I see there's some artists that would be like, I worked on this 20 years ago, left it, came back to it because I was un, I couldn't figure I out what it was done. missing, what it was missing. And now I woke up two o'clock in the morning, 2021. This is what was missing. It happens all the time because you have, like, I think the BMW 7 Series with 38 came out after, like, the 40-something. Like, it's wild because it's never in sequential order. It's in the order they started. They started. It doesn't mean it's the order they finished in. They didn't complete the order. It's not necessarily the order they were all completed in because you might just come back to something years later. You might have it like, damn, this doesn't work for now. But wait, this development or this advance in technology allows for this me to revive this project from three years ago. Happens all the time, bro. Do you feel like you see it in your art sometimes? Or um, do you see like you have more finite in the decisions that you make as you create? I'm finite in the decisions that I make when I when create when a piece goes to completion, but there were plenty of ideas that were just scrapped. Because like when things are finished, they're finished. But there's some pieces like, damn, ideas I've had that just didn't work that I'll be able to reapproach years later. Like, oh, this is a better way of doing it. Or this material allows for this, which I couldn't do that before. Or I was able to put LED lights for this now because of different ways I can manipulate light and electricity now. It's just mad different things to kind of play around with. I heard Just Blaze <clears throat> once say, he was like, people want people to go back to this classic hip-hop age. And he's like, do you know how hard it was carrying reels from yeah. room to room? <laughs> Some things will never happen again, bro. He's like... Thank God we have technology now. Yeah. Why would you even want to go back to that? Like yeah. your options are not necessarily limitless, but your your the scope of what you can do is far wider now because of the advent of technology. Because of all these different things you you see are like new things are possible. The possible like what's possible now is almost limitless because of access to information, access to materials, access to whatever, technology. I've seen people with 3D print things they can't find. Like, if you can imagine it, where you can make it now. One last question. What, it's interesting where black art is now in 2021. Yeah. It's, we have so many different forms of expression through black art now, and these stories are being told. I mean, hell, like, right now, you have the, the president's paintings, President Obama's paintings are in the Brooklyn Museum right now. Yeah. Um, do you feel like as you're teaching, art is in a good place for black people? And meaning art. what exactly? Because that could be a different way. Like art, I think it is art is always a good space for black people because black expression is pop culture, and pop culture is culture that the world lives in. Um, so there's two ends of that. There's like the financial end and what that what the opportunities are for to show work. But my focus on just getting the work out again creating the freedom for people to express the ideas this way. Like everyone should be an artist, right? Everyone should be creating something. Whether that, oh, let me not say that. I'm not also here pumping hustle culture at all, but art, everyone needs something to create. Everyone has something in their brain that the world needs. Whether you make money off it, whether you don't, the world may need it, period, right? Um, so I'm a big proponent of saying, what can I help bring out of you in terms of artwork? Artwork can be a painting, you can design some sneakers, you can design anything, but everyone has an imagination. So I'm always trying to foster that level of, um, I guess, intention with the with your imagination. So it's always a good space to be, especially right now where social media allows you to share it and the internet allows you to share your work much faster. 
allows you to see everybody's work. So just like I said when I went to art and design, it was great to have a community of artists. Because those weren't existing back then unless you had there were physical communities. Like you had to be all in a localized space. Now the communities are you click on a hashtag, you're in an art community. And you can communicate with people all around the world based on art. So now it's, it's always been a good time, but it's even a greater time now because the community isn't just, you don't have to look so hard for your community anymore. You don't have to look so hard for your people. Your people are right there in your fingertips now. I don't disagree with that. I think even in the midst of some, like there's some pieces, and I, I do this from time to time, like I'll go places now and I'll see certain things and I won't take pictures of it. Like I yeah. love to keep I'm not a big picture guy. I love keeping this image in my head and having to close my eyes and let my mind draw the picture having of what a, I see. The moment, bro. Like, I'm always a fan of the moment. Like, I'm not the guy at the shows or the concerts or the art guy taking photos or everything. I'm just, like, experiencing it. Yeah. He's a fearless, man. Like, I'm not going to look back at these photos. That's for me to show you. It ain't for me. For me, I know what's here. The photos are for me to let y'all know where I was or showing you what I'm seeing. But I know what I saw. I just like to be present, especially when I go museum and stuff. Like, I'm not a big picture-taking guy. I don't even have that many photos of my own artwork. I take what I need to take for reference, but that's it, man. That's even if I share most of that stuff. People think I'm not working. That funny, someone, I did these dog tags a few months back. I, forget what, I don't know what day it was or what month it was, but... um. I remember someone mentioning to someone else that I heard through the grapevine, like you're, like, you're doing work with this person. Is Ron even working right now? She's like, out of your goddamn mind. Like, this man is working, but just because you're not seeing it doesn't mean it's not working or he's not working. So I've, I've embraced my space in the shadows. Every once in a while, I'll pop up to let y'all know I'm still alive, but I've been in the shadows and loving it, bro. That's where I think you're saying this mystique kind of comes from. I always love being in the shadows. I don't need to be on front. That's my artist for I agree. Like, I don't make art to be this popular, like, influencer. Like, I don't care if any of you even know what I look like. Most people don't, which I love. But I'm pretty sure a lot of people know my work and don't know it's me. That's the fun part to me. It's not like, well, that's my work. Here's me. You should know me, too. Don't care, bro. None of that matters. You saw it. You felt something. That's all that matters to me. Ladies and gentlemen, Ron Draper, um... Ron, this has been amazing. No, of course, bro. I appreciate you having me, man. I, I appreciate you stopping by and, and taking time out of your day. Um, Ron, I, I think you're pretty world-renowned, but you can tell okay, people where yeah. they can find you. I feel like people say that. I don't believe that shit. I still don't believe that shit. I, I believe it. Um, well, Ronald Draper, so spell it out, R-O-N-A-L-D-D-R-A-P-E-R. Um, if you put it in Google, I'm probably the first result that comes up. There are a few other Ronald Jibbs out there, but it's quite random. Um, so between that, you and Don Draper from Mad Men. Yo, people thought that was... So my first initial Twitter name was Mr. Ronald Draper. People would reach out to me <laughs> saying, is this your real name? Like, why the fuck would that be my real name? So, oh, we thought you got it from Mad Men. I was like, what the fuck is Mad Men? That's what got me into the show. I love that show. Mad Men's my shit. It's the greatest written television I've ever seen. Like, Mad Men is... Wild. The like, complexities of the character development, the theme, the look, the idea, the feeling. The fashion, bro. The like, fashion. Hey, really, really did a great, great job with that. But people thought my name wasn't my name because they thought I pulled it, like I took it from some TV show. I mean, honestly, I thought that's what, when, when, when our mutual friend had introduced, like, I was like, does he like Mad Men? And she said, why? Like, at the time... The show was Mad building. Was rocking, yeah. It was building. So and, and it was still a very much like you said, like you were saying, try find your own find your club and find yeah. people. When you say that you're a madman fan, there's a certain level of like it's like a secret handshake yeah, almost. Always. Not madman for everybody. It's not. not. Not everyone's gonna understand what goes on there. Understand the nuance of the time and nuance of just what that show was giving people. Yeah. I, I love and that's that's where my love for whiskey comes from honestly yo random I'm not even a drinker but I do collect like liquor like I have a pretty I have a lot of whiskey I, shout out I, to Jack Daniels I pro, I personally do uh, I like whiskey I like bourbon so I do bullet a lot bullet bourbon is pretty much my my drink of choice I love an yeah. old, a good old fashioned this came from Puerto Rico and it's funny um, speaking of old fashions 
There's a Puerto Rican rum that makes a really, is it a Puerto Rican rum? Rondé, Rondé, Barrio. Yeah, so Rum Factory, if I'm not mistaken, in Puerto Rico. They have an aged rum. that I took a mixing class there um, and made it old-fashioned. And I don't drink, so I was handing it off to women who were there, and they loved it. So it's a good substance. There's a, that's Rondo Barrio Three Star. Try that. Well, I don't even try that. It's not even available in the United States, I don't think. The good thing about an old-fashioned, it's, um, it's very conversational. Yeah, a lot of people think a lot of uh, liquor is to be consumed in a quick pace, but bourbon is something that's conversational. Yeah, you sip, and as you sip it, it changes taste, it changes body, it changes form. Here's here's one of the keys, right? Here's a, a gem that one of the homies at the factory because they even let me bottle my own shit and everything there. So when you do, you, you have ice in your old fashioned. I do a large ice cube, one large ice cube. Instead of using Water, use coconut water. Mm. As it melts, the water does the water just dilutes it. Coconut water will help change the the composition of the drink itself. It's not going to water it down. So use a large ice cube of coconut water. Freeze coconut water and put it in there. Shout out to my man from Puerto Rico who told me I forget his name, man, but homie gave my wife and I a great experience at this rum factory. Oh, I'm sold now. I'm sold. I'm try gonna, it. I'm gonna try. It. Like I'm never. I'm never ever gonna try that drink, but. <laughs> I was I'm, like, I like being able to speak about this shit as if like people like, damn, you must be into alcohol. And I don't even drink, bro. I just like talking to hot shit. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> like Ron Draper. I am Robbie Digital. Thank you for listening to Live from the Stoop Podcast. Tune in next time. You never know who will be here, who is sitting at the stoop. Till next time, guys. <laughs>